Howdy, friends. You're listening to teaching from our college ministry here at FBC Bryan. We hope you enjoy this message from our college pastor, John Davison, as we journey through the book of 2 Timothy. If you have any questions, please reach out through social media, or you can visit our website at fbcbryan.org slash college. We hope you enjoy. What's up, friends? Hey, it's like my... I don't know, my seventh favorite day of the year, and that's saying something in here. Like when college students come back, this is one of the days that I love. Are y'all good? You're, you're, you're four days into school. I don't know how many, how many anybody know how many you have left? Yeah, don't, don't play that game. It'll be a nightmare for some of you. The, uh, some of the rest of you that were here with us last week, you're seven days into a, like a 39-day fast. Are y'all good? If you didn't, you're like, yeah, uh, no fried food, and you brought canes. I appreciate that. You're a gift, John. I, I'm giving up fried food and takeout and all of that. Yep, I feel that. Um, a couple things, we're just playing catch up. I know we, we brought the Bible study leaders up here and prayed for them. I, I'm going to say this. Like, I love this space. I love gathering together with you. I love opening up God's word together and chewing on this. But our ministry is effective because of what those leaders do. Uh, your interaction with them, uh, the growth that we see in ministry, the growth that we see in you, how the gospel is going forth, they are responsible for so much of it. And so uh, I, I'm, I can't express to you enough how important it is for you to find, if you're not plugged into a Bible study, to find that and to get plugged into that. Uh, if some of you, I think Reese walked up and was like, hey, I really like your shoes. If you haven't paid attention to my shoes, I'm not really like, hey, check out these shoes. Um, these shoes, you're like, those are sick. These are an accident. These shoes are a big giant accident um, right here. Like, I, can take them, I can take them off if you want. Um, they're slip on and off because John doesn't like to tie his shoes. Um, and, like I learned how to do that when I was a toddler and I gave up when I was an adult. And so we just put them on like that. Um, when we revealed our Bible study leaders last April, we dumped paint all over them so they would know who their Bible study partners were. And part of it ended up on my feet. And I really liked these shoes, but they were white. And then all of a sudden there was like pink and yellow and blue. And I was like, well, we just have to own it. So we just dumped a bunch of other paint on them too. It's a reminder because I sit in my office. I have to build these little reminders in in my life that help me uh, pray towards certain things. And so every time I walk in there, I go, God, would you be like near those Bible studies? Would you use them? Would you allow their lives to echo into the lives of other students and, and make an impact that I alone can't make? Like, like I'm, I'm spoiled to stand before you in this space and to speak to all of you at once. They get to zoom in and do life and encourage you. And so if you're not in a Bible study, this is my commercial, find one. If, if you're like, hey, I went to Monday last year, but my Mondays are wrecked now, and so I have to do something else, that's good, all right, because we have Tuesday, and we have Wednesday, and we have Thursday that you can go to. Don't go to all of them, all right? Uh, some of them will have food, and you may figure out what, which ones those are, and you'll just, like, never pay for food again. But just pick one and invest your life in an anchor in it this semester and get to know those leaders and the people that you're going to walk beside. It, it will be essential for your growth. Okay, I'm just going to say that. We, we've launched two new ones that are awesome. Uh, one of them is going to take place on Thursday night at our new missions pastor's house and his wife, and they love, love, love college students. And so uh, if you didn't like your leader last semester... Now's a good time to switch, okay? Uh, now, now, I'm going to say this out loud, and this isn't offensive. Hopefully, our leaders have thick enough skin. Your attendance to Bible study isn't a covenant attendance, which means that now, if you're like, I really want to go somewhere else, do that, okay? I will say this to everybody. Go to church and go to Bible study, a place that you enjoy and that you can serve, okay? Sometimes there's going to be seasons, once you anchor your life there, that you don't enjoy, 
There's going to be seasons when, like next week and the week after, we go, hey, college students, I need 100 of you to sit up there in the choir loft because there's no more room in the inn. And so you, you, you're like, I don't want to sit in the choir loft, and I'm, I can't sing. All right, It's just going to be pretend when you're up there. We're not miking you, you but you're, you're going to worship in front of people, and you're going to sit behind Jim as he preaches, and it's, it's going to be a little bit awkward, but that's okay. Those are the little uncomfortable sacrifices. But for Bible study, go to a place that you really enjoy, the people that you really enjoy, the leaders that you can be growing in, that you want to go to every week. That's a win, okay? So you have permission to do that. Cool? Don't send your Bible study leader like, hey, I hate you. I'm going somewhere else. That's not the play, all right? But find a place that you just love, all right? And if you're struggling with that or, or your personality type is like, I can't be in a room. Well, you're in one right now with a bunch of people. But like uh, when maybe they're going to make me pray out loud or I'm going to have to respond to something like that. Uh, I want to encourage you to get over that one. But also maybe find a leader that is, is like that too. That our leaders are not cut from the same cloth. It, they're all over the place. And so get to know the leaders. You saw them. Jump on the website. Um, and you can, you can kind of see who they all are and go have a conversation with them. Um, and just make that happen. Okay, it's up to you. All right, that's, that's really the first really big thing, Bible study 101. Next week, we, we said this. Next Sunday, this is so vital. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen for fifth Sunday flip uh, if you don't know what that is. A lot of you go to the second service. Please keep going to the second service, okay? That, if you love that service, go. Today, during that service, we had the largest non-Easter worship service that we've ever had at our church. On a random January 22nd, like, we didn't expect it, our staff didn't expect it, and we saw the numbers, like, oh, no, we have trouble, again. Uh, part of it's your fault, thank you, for those of you that came and, and invaded this section and then up into those sections over there, and so I love that, and so we're going we're gonna to move you. Um, one of the cool things, though, is that the first service people don't get to see that as often. Um, we have a lot of our students that go to first service, and it, I'll, I'll say it out loud, I love that service, I love the style of that service, I love how it's laid out. All of those things are true. And so every fifth Sunday, which there's one in January and there's one in April this semester, we flip it, which means if you, if second service is your home, go to first service. And in going to first service, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand up on these stairs during that, and I'm going to go, hey, our college students are in here worshiping with us, a big chunk of them, and, and those people are going to clap, and they're going to love you. They love college students. All of those things are true. The building next door that's being built is their fault because they love college students. I'm going to challenge them during the greeting time to find you, to introduce themselves to you, and then commit to take you to lunch. And so if you like free lunch with strangers, next week is it. Okay? Here's the cool thing that I know about. Many of these are going to be empty nest, senior adult, professor, former professor, whatever. You may ask the Lord, like, hey, I want to be a teacher. Would you, would you allow that to be like a former teacher that really loves Jesus? Hey, I'm going to be an engineer. Could I have lunch with an engineer that really loves Jesus? Those, those things can happen. Um, but also, when they take you to lunch you're probably going to have to say about three words because they love to talk, all right? Um, and they'll take their food to go, and they'll just chat you your ears off, and that will be sweet. So commit to go. It's going to be a fun time next week, and then we'll be back to normal uh, the week after that. And then I already encouraged you guys. I, I wrote this down, but those of you that are, are leaning into fasting, those of you that may not know about this, Collegiate Day of Prayer is February 23rd. Uh, that is 32 days from now, I think, if my math is correct. And we're, we're really trying to prepare the runway for the Collegiate Day of Prayer, setting our hearts right. And one of the things that you can do that is to commit to pray. And a cool reminder to pray every day is to be fasting from something. A lot of our, a lot of our students are doing food or social media or, or other things um, that they know they do every day that they can replace with prayer. If you haven't committed to that yet, I want to challenge you to commit to that. Maybe you don't know what that is. Have a conversation with me, and uh, we can get you kind of on the right path to do that. It will be beneficial to your prayer life, and it's beneficial to the kingdom. For you to do that, okay? That's all of it. Now, 
This whole semester, except for two random weeks where we're going to talk sex and dating, there you go, there's your heads up if you want to show up for those, those are going to be sweet. Uh, if you have a boyfriend or girlfriend, you better make sure your relationship's right before those weekends because we're going to wreck it. Uh, <laughs> we are in 2 Timothy, all right, so grab your Bible, 2 Timothy, we're just going to walk through every verse of 2 Timothy this semester, we're going to be looking at it in here, we're going to be looking at it at Bible study. It's a, it, I just love walking through books like this. We did Ecclesiastes last semester, and, and now we're in 2 Timothy. So the first word, for those of you that were with us during Romans, Paul. Yeah. And that's where we're stopping. Um, right there. 2 Timothy 1, first word, Paul. This is just kind of setting us up. Paul is the author of 2 Timothy. Let me, a side note. If you don't write in your Bible, like if you're afraid to, get over that. Uh, I want you to begin to write notes in here because journals, please, like be journaling too. Those are essential. But a lot of times you'll like fill up a journal if you write a lot and you don't carry it with you all the time. Hopefully your Bible is always with you. It's a great place just to make like big notes, things that the Lord's teaching you, some things that you can open it up and share with other people as you're maybe just leading a Bible study or sharing the gospel or something. And today we're going to do a big overarching kind of flyby of 2 Timothy and, and throw some things at you that you were going to want to write some notes in your Bible, okay? So Paul, this is who is the author. He is writing to Timothy. Now, Paul, I think he's pretty famous, but if you don't know, I'm going to give you a, just a kind of an overview of Paul and his life and how he gets to these pastoral epistles. This is just what we call 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Um, all the rest of his letters are to churches and to help the church kind of function in their structure. These are more towards individuals, Timothy and Titus, as they pastor at churches. And so Paul, we think, was born right about 5 A.D. in Tarshish. He uh, meets Jesus about the age of 29 on the road to Damascus when he's blinded. That's A.D. 34. And then he's silent really for about 13 years. Um, in ministry. He's being discipled, he's learning, he's doing all of those things. Uh, there's nothing like super spiritual to 13 years. It's just how Paul, Paul's life is laid out. So in AD 47, roughly AD 49, he meets Titus. He takes Titus and Barnabas, and they go from Antioch to Jerusalem to the Jerusalem Council. And his ministry really kind of springboards from there. Um, and him and Timothy and Silas and a couple other people just travel all throughout Asia Minor to a bunch of these places doing ministry. Uh, we see him and Timothy split up really around AD 51, especially when Paul starts getting into legal trouble because of his pursuing Christ. He's in, in and out of jail and stuff. Timothy goes from with Paul uh, to Athens, to Macedonia. Then he returns to Thessalonica to, to encourage new believers. Then he goes back to Paul and in Corinth because that church is super jacked up. Uh, I was flipping a coin between 2 Timothy and uh, doing, some, doing a study throughout Corinthians. And we, thankfully we landed in 2 Timothy because that, that one would have been wildly discouraging to us. And we see how jacked up that church was. They're going back and forth fighting these battles. And in Corinth we uh, see them also ministering to the church in Thessalonica. Then Timothy goes to Ephesus to work with Paul during Paul's like three-year ministry stint there. Goes from there to him sending Timothy back to the church in Corinth with the letter to them. That's 1 Corinthians. That's A.D. 56. Paul's in his 40s at this point. While ministering in Ephesus, Paul is still there. He sends Titus to eventually his home church. And then he goes to Corinth with Timothy in person and there fights the battle at the church and writes the book of Romans. He also gets arrested. 
when he's released, this is really kind of the end of the book of Acts, when Paul is released from prison, he goes to Ephesus, he appoints Timothy as the chief pastor there. That's really what First Timothy is about. It's like, hey, this is how you should lead. This is what it looks like to be a pastor. Here's a lot of hope. This is the instructions on what to do. He's putting governance and all of those things in place in First Timothy. I would read it. It's, re- it's six really cool chapters that kind of give you a, a heads up on what's happening in these four chapters in Second Timothy. So he writes him that letter. He writes the letter to Titus. He commissions Titus into the ministry to train young leaders um, in their congregation so that they can be sent out. And then uh, this fire breaks out in Rome that you probably learned about in history. That's uh, July 18th. Uh, It burned for six days, July 18th through the 24th in A.D. 64. At this point, Paul is 59 years old. For some strange reason, when that fire broke out, so did the persecution of Christianity. It, it went from like, we're kind of persecuting you to now we're just going to kill you. We are coming after you. They're irritated. Part of that was like, hey, we're blaming Christians for what happened here. But also, just it, it it's weird to say this. This is a horrible pun. But it lit a fire under them to, per, to, like, to persecute Christians. That's what happened. Literally, they're going after them. So Paul returns to Rome. He is arrested and in that arrest, he is basically sentenced to death, and in that, like, I'm probably going to die, he writes Second Timothy. This uh, Marmitine prison is where he's at. What's kind of funny is if you know Rome, you know the Colosseum, right, that big, the big thing where they fought? There's a, a prison underneath that, um, and it was, I think it was open like five years after this. He just barely missed, like, being a prisoner in the Colosseum. He's in this He's in this prison that's really drafty, that's really cold, that's miserable for prisoners to be in. Um, there's no central heat and air that's going on there. There's no windows. All, it's just a terrible, terrible place to be. And this is where he's, where he's writing this letter to Timothy. Um, and this is probably in A.D. 67. He's 62-ish at this point, and he dies later that year. So this is the context of Paul. First word, what is happening here, writing to Timothy, the pastor of this church, and he's giving him some instructions in 1 Timothy on how to lead, but then in 2 Timothy it takes a turn, and, and we kind of need to see why this takes this turn um, to help us understand this, how he weaves the gospel through all of this book. Okay, so right off the bat, let's, I'm just going to read a couple verses to you to help you kind of understand. We're going to 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is at the end of it, starting in verse 16. At my defense, no one stood by me, but everyone deserted me. Okay, what, what he's talking about here is he's, he's having a trial. Now, the, the crazy part about this trial here is that if you go and you read the end of Acts, uh, Paul basically is set free but chooses to go before the courts in Rome because he wants an audience with Caesar. And, and we see throughout his, his letters that he actually leads a bunch of people in Caesar's household to Christ because of this arrest. We, we don't know how he lands at this point, but he's made enough people mad that he's, he's back on trial again. And it says, hey, at my defense, no one stood by me, but everyone deserted me. Now, we can argue, and I, I think it's pretty easy to argue, that he's a modern like leader pastor of the church and the movement of the church, and he has no one with him. Now, we, we're going to read in a second there's somebody with him, but not beside him at this point. He feels like everybody's deserted him. And to Timothy, he says, May it not be counted against them. Verse 17, But the Lord stood with me, and he strengthened me, so that I might fully preach the word, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I love this prayer. It's not a prayer that 
that I don't, I don't think that we pray, or at least we don't think this way to pray. He says, the Lord's going to rescue me. And a lot of times when you hear that, you think the Lord's going to save me from this prison. He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna make all of this right. I'm going to get to retire on the beach. It's like I'm, I'm going to get all the things that I want. No, he says, the Lord's going to rescue me. How? He's going to rescue me safely into his heavenly kingdom. His rescue is his death. Like, I, I love that mindset. Like, the Lord's going to rescue me when this government kills me. And I don't think we often think this way, but this is where he's at. He knows at this point in writing to Timothy that he has been to court. No one stood beside him. And now he has been sentenced to death. We see this because he says it earlier in chapter 4, starting in verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time for my departure is close. He's saying, like, I've been convicted. I'm going to die. I have fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And so, so we know that he's stood before the courts and he has been convicted, he is guilty, and he is going to die. So this, this sets the tone for you, knowing where he's at for the entire letter. Okay, he's not writing this letter over years. This is a sit-down thing where he's like, hey, I need you to hear some things. Also, at the end, I've already been convicted. I'm going to die. This is what I need from you. This is what I need you to be thinking about with this. Now, our boy Luke is with him. Not Luke Hopkins, although that would be a comfort. Um, Luke would not abandon him at trial. Chapter 4, verse 11. Only Luke is with me. Now, Luke, author of Luke, okay, author of Acts. He does a lot of reporting. He's probably scribing this for him. Only Luke is with me. I love this. Bring Mark with you. He's useful to me in ministry. Then he goes on and, and he invites some more people. And in verse 13, this is cool. When you come, bring the cloak that I left. Why? Because it's a really nice cloak? No, because winter is fixing to hit. And he's in a very drafty prison. Verse 21, make every effort to come to me before winter. Please bring my coat. All right, it's going to be freezing in here. I love this. He only has one coat. He's got one cloak. I left it. Would you grab it and bring it to me? Now, this isn't like he's going to get, he's going to get in his truck and he's going to drive across the desert and bring it to him. These, these are not short journeys places. But he writes him a letter that didn't go via text or email that took a little while to get to him and he reads it. he's like oh he wants his coat all right <laughs> we're gonna get his coat we're gonna take it to him but there's also kind of wrapped up in this as you read it and we're gonna walk through it. i encourage you to read these all four of these chapters just sit down and it'll take you like eight minutes you can run through it do that you know every couple days and you'll really begin to understand the context of this and walk in here with a cheat code and be like this is what he's talking about and be ahead of the game there's this context, though, within the entire book as you read through it that, that I think Paul sort of thinks like, hey, please get here, but if you don't, I need you to hear some things. I'm going I'm I'm to throw all of this stuff at you, but I also would really like for you to come. One, because I like you, Timothy. I think you're going to be a great pastor. But two, because you got my coat. I need you to bring that and, and because it, it, it's going to be cold where I'm at. And so this is, this is sort of the context of all of this, but... But in that, you have this picture. You, you think about Paul in prison, older at this point. When you go and you read his resume, he has 
shipwrecked upon shipwrecked upon bitten by a snake upon stoned upon blinded by Jesus which is a pretty wild one um, imprisoned and he's gone through all of these things and and I get this picture of this like war-torn beat up near the end of his life like I can't like I, th- I think he's a warrior but I can't think that like he knows the sentence has been handed down and and maybe mentally he's just struggling and he's he's sad and, and you look at this and and you have this idea that he knows that the end is near. And so he's writing a letter that is not like a desperation. Hey, please come and help me. Maybe break me out. You know, N- not that. But going in my last days, bro, I need you to hear these things. In, in my last days, would you please just process these things that are of most importance to me? It's this picture of, of Timothy's mentor and probably best friend in ministry. And Timothy knows that he's dying and he's getting this letter. And in this letter, Paul is, is sharing with him not how to be a good pastor like he does in 1 Timothy, but more so the things that are most important to me and should be most important to you need to rise to the top. And this is what he does with this letter. So, so here's, here's the context. I need you to remember this context that, that the person that you love the most, who knows he's about to die, is writing to you this letter. He's requesting your presence. He's hoping to see you, but there's an idea that maybe it's not going to happen. And so within this letter, he focuses just on a few things. And we're going to zoom in on these as we walk through this slowly. But I'm going I'm to run us through really quick the things that he focuses on. First, 2 Timothy in our three pages that they are in my Bible is a completely gospel-centered letter. Paul's words to Timothy are not only deeply personal because of what he's walking through, but in that personal, they become deeply theological. In in his ability to write, he says, hey, I I need you to know how much I love you. I need you to know how much I I want you to come and visit me. I need you to know how much I want that coat. I need you to know all of these things. But also, I need you to understand these deep theological things. And so this is what he does. If you have your pen, you can, you can begin to write these things down. Um, because he, he's going to reveal to him like this dominant theme throughout the gospel that rises up. And, and we're going to put these up on the screen. They're going to all come up at once. There's, there, we've been outlined like four things within each chapter. Chapter 1, he's saying, hey, guard the gospel. Guard the gospel with all that you have. Chapter 2, here's your encouragement. You're going to suffer for the gospel. His encouragement right off the bat, like, just be strong. Therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that you have in Lord Jesus because this is going to be difficult. You're going to suffer for the gospel. Chapter 3 is like, hey, guard it, suffer in it, and continue in the gospel. Keep, keep fighting. There's difficult times ahead, but I need you to keep struggling and fighting in this. It's, it's really your only hope. And then in chapter 4, fulfilling your ministry, he's going, hey, proclaim the gospel. Proclaim it. If, if you're thinking, like, what's a good roadmap for the, the rest of my life? Paul gives us this in his letter to Timothy. He's going, hey, guard it. Suffer for it. Continue in it. And proclaim this gospel everywhere that you go. If you do that, then my life echoes into your life, and it will continue to echo. This is 2 Timothy 2.2. It's a verse that we're going to memorize as we're walking through this. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who are able to teach others also. It's that fourfold, we talked about on Sunday morning, fourfold layer that Paul's going, would this please continue? Would you do these things? Guard, suffer, continue in and proclaim the gospel. This letter, like it's unbelievably timely for Timothy, where Paul is at, but it's also really timeless for us. And and this has been said, and I think it's a little bit cheesy, 
um, mainly because I have, a, I have an inside view of like what your generation looks like. And for a lot of people, they're like, Christianity, man, we're losing hope. Like, that's not true at all. Like, this room is filled with passionate people who love Jesus, and there's churches in our area that are filled with passionate college students that love Jesus, and there's churches around the country and around the world that have people your age that passionately love Jesus. So I'm not, I'm not real concerned about the gospel, one, because God controls it. And so when people throw up the gloom and doom, like, oh, the gospel could die in one generation, that's not God's plan. And so I'm not real concerned about that, but, but I am, and I want to stir you up to be concerned about it, to be concerned about like be engaging with God and his heart for the nations and like being on that team because it's the team that's going to win. And when you, when you lean into that, you can see God use you in powerful ways just to wreck the world. And so be on that team. And so this is what he's saying. He's like, hey, this is timely, but I, this is going to echo for a long time because we, we don't want the gospel to just be like assumed by you we want it to be something that you're really passionate about we don't want you to neglect it as you focus on other things you can't ignore it but we don't you to ignore it or to abandon it like we want you to keep guarding and suffering for and continuing in and proclaiming the gospel and this focus it it should speak loudly to us to us it should teach us to fix our eyes on the, on the person of Jesus and, and on his ministry. And that should be the most important thing, no matter what season that you're in. And then at the end of your life, the thing that Paul is most passionate about can, can rise up in you. What he says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 3, that that is the most important thing to him, is the gospel. And that it echoes for generations. And so, what is the gospel? Now, many of you in this room can, can loudly proclaim. Some of you that have been around for us. Uh, around our ministry for a long time can give the, the short answer that I gave as we were walking through um, the, the letter to Peter that gospel is really Christ in my place. That's the shortcut that we use that other people use to explain the gospel. But he does this a little bit better. And we're going to go through this really, really quick for you to grasp and understand the gospel. These are verses that you can underline, maybe write it in the, the little dead space beside Second Timothy in your Bible or whatever to, to help you understand what the gospel is because he he breaks it down in maybe some big boy words we're going to put them up on the screen and the verses so you can you can maybe even grab a picture of it on your phone if you don't want to write what's the gospel well it is the good news of jesus but it's bigger than that and he breaks it down in second timothy first the gospel is christological that's a fancy big boy word that means the gospel is about christ the gospel is about Christ. There is no gospel apart from Jesus. He's the hero of the gospel. This is 2 Timothy 2, verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, comma, risen from the dead and descended from David according to the gospel. So remember Jesus. There's no gospel outside of Jesus. There's no good news outside of Jesus. He is the hero of this story. Second, the gospel is biblical. And you're going to go... Well, well, duh. Like That doesn't make any sense outside of that. People try to make it make sense out of it. The gospel is biblical. God has presented the saving work of Jesus Christ in the scriptures for us. And, and Paul is saying that within these scriptures, they are able to give us wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That's 2 Timothy 3.15. It's a verse that we're going to memorize also in here. And you know that from infancy... We have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation. These scriptures give us wisdom for salvation through faith 
in Jesus. It is first Christological. It is about Jesus. It is second completely biblical. Third, it is historical. And this is important. Christ appeared in human history. This is 2 Timothy 1.10. I love that he includes this. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So it's like he showed up. Historically, you can't disprove the fact that he showed up. Now, we can, we can argue with other people about virgin birth and about whether or not he was God and all of those things, but you can't argue that he didn't show up. He historically showed up. And then one day we're going to get to see the other historical side of it, which he does at the end of the book in verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. And that happens when the second coming of Christ takes place. And so he showed up. He's going to show up again. And, and I love this. I had this thought when I was sitting back there. I didn't write this down. But, but I was looking at this Bible. And many of you have a Bible. If you didn't bring one, then bring one. If you don't own one, steal one from us. All right, They're in the pew backs everywhere. You can take one with you. But this Bible is the most sold book of all time. Every year, it's it. It's the top of the list. You don't have to question it. If there was historical issue with this, don't you think we would already wreck this thing? Like if somebody was like, no, really, I can prove it wrong. And they stood up and they proved it wrong, we would all go, okay. Like I'm done. 2,000 plus years. Organized, you know, 1,500 years or so before, but, or after. We still have this thing, and it's still the most sold, and it's still being explored, and archaeology is still proving it. People are digging up stuff. It's like, oh, that's in the Bible. I didn't know that this could be completely true. Like, it continues to echo in true places. It's historical and accurate and true, and the gospel is historical that Christ showed up, and he's going to come back. I love these thoughts. Fourth, it's also doctrinal. This is going to be big. You're like, what? What's up there? Good. A lot. I didn't know what I put. Uh, I put a lot. Because here it comes. If you're taking notes, you ready? Timothy speaks of all, a lot of the important doctrines in Scripture. In verse 1 of chapter 1, the promise of life. In 1.9, God's sovereign grace. In 1.10, Christ's victory over death. In 1.14, the Spirit's indwelling. In 2.8, the person and the work of Christ. In 2.10, our election. Also, our glorification in 2.10. In 2.11, our union with Christ. In 2.25, what repentance looked like. In, in 4.8, our future rewards in heaven. All of these are doctrinal things that echo in other places, and the gospel is that. Now, the gospel is really simple when shared, but hear me, you become much more powerful in sharing the gospel. Now, the Holy Spirit does the work, and all of those things are true, but, but as you understand doctrine, which is the, the study of what we believe, as you begin to understand this more than standing before people and sitting before people and sharing this with friends and all that, you become much more powerful in it. Like, like Christ has left you on this planet, okay, to share him with other people. And I use this argument a lot. Like, just knowledge for knowledge's sake, like, I, I just want to study my Bible, and I really want to be more and more like Christ. But if you're not sharing it with people, then you might as well go to heaven. Because when you get to heaven, the understanding of God is going to grow at such a rapid pace, but you're going to spend eternity trying to figure him out. You're still not going to get to the end of it, but you're going to understand him better in heaven than you ever could here. But he left you on this planet to share Christ with people, to share the gospel with people so that they could know the beauty and the glory and the power of Christ and so that, so that he could 
help them go from death to life. And your understanding of doctrine as you grow in this makes you, I'll say this, more powerful in sharing the gospel. It's just 100% true. We would go, who's the best person ever at sharing the gospel? It's a Sunday school answer. Jesus, all right? Why? Well, because he was fully God and fully man. So he had the cheat code. But then we would go, who's next on that list? You know, like Paul. Could be, and that's a pretty solid argument, or any of the other apostles. Paul was just wordy, and he wrote a lot of letters, all right? The dude just, like, and we just happened to capture all of them. We won't know until we get to heaven. I mean, Thaddeus might have been a stud at just sharing the gospel with people. And, and so, like, understanding that. Why? Because they spent time with Jesus. And when you understand doctrine, which comes from you spending time with Jesus, your passion, and I'm going to say your ability and your boldness in all of these things rises up. It, it just will. No doctrine. Understand that. And this book is full of a lot of it. We're going to address many of them as we walk through this together. Fifth, I love this, the gospel's personal. It must be received personally by faith. It's something that is, is, is given to you that you get to receive. I, I love the first part of this um, as he's introducing, I mean, he introduces himself and then encourages Timothy uh, with this verse we're going to look at next week. But he says, remembering you, remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. This is one verse four. Verse five, I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I'm convinced is also in you. The gospel is personal to his grandmother, it's personal to his mom, it became personal to him, it's personal to people. God desires like a personal relationship with you that's not kept private, that is then shared with other people as it becomes more personal as you understand him. It's just a, a personal relationship. It must be received personally by faith. And then lastly, the gospel is practical. I love this. It, it has, within the gospel, it has to do with your life. It has to do with your family. It has to do with your finances. It has to do with your school. It has to do with, with your purity. It has to do with our church. It has to do with the ministries that we do within the church. They're driven by the gospel. It has to do with your affections, the thing that you love. It, it has to do with your fears. The gospel has practical implications for all of these things, it's, it's practical for the believer in this room, and it's practical for the unbeliever. To, to the lost person, the gospel is the message of salvation. It's the message that brings hope. It proclaims to the world that the thing that everybody knows in the world is that the world is broken, that the world is sinful. Unbelievers will look around and go, this thing's jacked up. And the gospel explains what Jesus did and brings about a hope for a lost world. It brings about the payment of sin and the redemption of the world. And when things are going to be made right, it's practical for the unbeliever. And for the believer, the gospel reminds us of our, of our position before God, of the power that we have in our relationship to God, of our eternal future in heaven. It reminds us of all of those things. It gives us uh, strength to endure the suffering that's going to be promised. We're going to read it again in 2 Timothy, it gives us a strength to get through the trials and the difficulties in ministry. And I think one of the reasons that Paul is so preoccupied when you read this to go like, this entire book is just about the gospel. The, the reason that Paul is so preoccupied, not with 1 Timothy, hey, this is how you do ministry, but 2 Timothy, bro, understand the gospel. The reason he's so preoccupied with this is because he knows that it's his only hope. Timothy, you're skilled. 
Bro, like you're attractive. You're the leader of the church. You got the position. You, you have the authority that's been, been given as we put you into place as a pastor and people are following you. You have success. And if you don't hold on to the gospel, then it will all be wrecked. And that Paul knows this to be 100% true. And, and it's still, because it's timeless, it echoes in our life. Like, there's some unbelievably talented people in this room. Unbelievably gifted people in this room. God has, has, has spoiled you with things. And if you will, if you don't put them under the umbrella of the gospel, then they're just going to be things. And they're going to be things that are wasted. And they're going to be things that are ruined. And they're going to be things that become rotten. But what Paul does here, he's so focused on the gospel and he's going, hey, this is your only hope. If you will just lean into Jesus and the gospel, it's your only hope. And, and he's going, this is the, the only way that you finish. I've run the race. I've finished the fight. And the only way that you can do this is through the gospel. It's the beautiful part about how Paul met Jesus. The dude, I mean, you go back and read his resume, not the negative side of it where he kept, you know, getting on boats that crashed. The educated side of it, the Hebrew of Hebrews. I studied under the finest men. I have the highest education. I was given the biggest title. Anytime I asked the government for paperwork to go kill Christians, they're like, yeah, do whatever you want. You're Paul. And, and when he met Christ, what happened? If you don't know the story, he's on the road to Damascus and the bro showed up and blinded him. And what, what takes place at that moment is a really cool picture by going, hey, you need help. You need help. You, you think you can do this on your own? Now that you've met me, I think you probably still have this mindset because you're still Paul and you're still highly educated and you're still all of these things. You're still passionate. I need to wreck you for a second for you to understand that you need help. You're going to need help from a, a fellow brother in Christ to help those scales to come off of your eyes. And from that, then you're going to learn for the rest of your life that your only hope is not going to be in how skilled you were, but it's going to be in the gospel. And if you desire to finish what God has called you to, to finish it well, the only way that you're going to do that is by leaning into your relationship with Jesus. This is how Paul presents the gospel to Timothy. And he's going, hey, you should treasure it. You should love it. You should proclaim it. You should continue in it. All of those things. And that's our only hope. And so this is what we're going to allow to echo all throughout 2 Timothy is a deep passion for the gospel. So here in a second, the band's going to come back up and lead us. You guys can go up there now just as a, a head start. Um, and during these songs, like 100%, you could stand up and sing and whatnot. But, but maybe... You're trying to figure this out. Like you would say that I'm a Christ follower, but I still don't really fully understand the gospel. And I need the help with that. Spend some time in prayer and asking God to reveal that to you. And then, and then lean into this. This is part of our discipleship and accountability process here is to help you understand the gospel more. And maybe for some of you that are just unbelievers in this room and, and you know like in your heart of hearts that you've never actually like decided to follow Jesus. You're, you're, the gospel story has never become personal to you. It's something that at negative nine months, your parents started taking you to church and that's all that you've ever known, but it's never been personal. It's just been a thing that you do. In order for you to continue steadfastly in the faith, like this has to become personal to you. And I would encourage you to not leave this space without making it personal. There's a ton of leaders that sit up in front of you, myself, some more staffs in the back. We would love to have that conversation with you because here's the thing. This is, this is what I love. And, and I knew this would probably take place because of our leaders. We had our Bible study leader meeting at 530 today. 
and we were talking about just, you know, this week and what it looked like. And then we went out and broke into the construction area. Not really broke in. I know the code to get in there. But we, we went in and we gave them a tour. They haven't seen, like, what that looks like yet. Kind of showed them all these things. And, and then we stood in what's going to be the worship space, the college worship space in that building. And I just said, I, did, I kind of was like, hey, we're going to have a couple of you pray. Uh, and then, Will, if you would close us out. Um, praying for, like, this building and how the Lord's going to use it. And pray for tonight. And... Uh, opportunity to stand before college students and all of that. We, we were praying, and this thing began to rise up as like one, two, and then it ended up with, I think, almost everybody in there praying. And a lot of their prayers were this. My God, like, we're spoiled. This is a really cool space. It's going to be a, a beautiful building. It's going to be fun. There's some of you that are freshmen that are going to get to be in there for three years, and it's just going to be your home, and you're going to get to see God do some unbelievable stuff in there. But it began to shift from... Lord, thank you for this blessing to would you fill this place with lost people? Would this become a place where the dead come alive? Would this become a place where we see salvation happen? Would this become a place where the sick are healed? And we're seeing, we're seeing people turn their attention to Jesus and passionately chase after him. And like that's our heart for all of those things. But hear me, none of that happens without people in this room becoming passionate about the gospel. And none of that happens without people in this room responding passionately to the gospel. And so it's how you live your life as a believer, and it's how you share your life with unbelievers, and then you see believers respond in that way. I can do that. You can do it much more powerfully. Because the Lord has given you a space and an influence and a class and a dorm and a bus, an athletic pass, in order to engage with the lostness, not just of Bryan College Station, but of the world. 8,000 international students over there. That if, if they met Jesus and went back to Iran and to Iraq and to Saudi Arabia and to these places that they're not going to let you go into, and they started sharing that with their family, and that became contagious and started a revival because you were, you were just passionate about the gospel and shared it with somebody in your class, how unbelievable is that? So here's our goal. Be passionate about the gospel to the point that you rearrange what eternity looks like. That's what Christ is calling you to, and it's your only hope to do it. Let me pray for you, and then we're going to worship together. God, thank you. Thank you for Paul and, and, and his passion. Thank you for how you use him. Thank you for Timothy and his leadership of the church. And we thank you for this letter, like this letter that was written on a deathbed. This letter that's filled with so much gospel truth and passion. This letter that echoes. And, and I pray that in the timelessness of this letter that we would grab a hold of it and run with it. That, that we would see students as you promise, Jesus promises that, that greater things will be done. And the same power that conquered the grave lives in you, and you're going to do greater things than I ever did. And, and the greatest thing, it's the thing that we prayed, that, like the greatest thing that we could see is when the dead come alive. And the spiritually dead, without hope, meet Jesus, just because we, being led by your spirit, we're confident enough to open our mouth and to share the gospel with them and to see them respond in powerful ways. And so, would, would that be the motivation for believers? Would the gospel remind us of our hope and our future and the power that we walk in? And for unbelievers in this space, would your spirit be stirring them to respond? That they wouldn't leave here without an intimate knowledge, a personal knowledge of who Jesus is for the first time. And then may that echo as we walk through this book over and over and over again. May we not get tired of hearing it. We trust you to bring it alive in our hearts and our minds and our eyes. God, and now as we respond, would you give us boldness, boldness in our worship and even boldness in our conversations and, and our response to you by your spirit. In Jesus' name.